control. This is Tech Radio. All things computers, gadgets and web happening right now in Ireland. Hear us anytime on iTunes or download from techcentral.ie. Hello there and welcome to Tech Radio, the number one Irish tech podcast with you every Friday morning with your favourite podcasting app or of course Friday evenings on RTE Radio. Our sponsor on the show this week is CyberHive who offer trusted cloud, VPN and office gatekeeper services and we'll find out more about them shortly. My name is Dusty Rhodes. You're welcome to show number 891. Joining me as always is our Editor-in-Chief, uh, Niall Kitson. Uh, plenty to do with Facebook, um, but first, let's talk about the future. It has arrived. We, we thought we were doing pretty cool with video calls and with Zoom. No, Cisco has gone and just blown all of that out of the water. What have they done? Yeah, they've kind of beaten Facebook to the punch really on this, haven't they? Uh, they have introduced hologram calls with uh, WebEx, uh, which is their popular web conferencing system. So if you could imagine the likes of, well, I mean, we're recording using Zencaster and we can see each other and, and that's quite nice. But if you were to look at the likes of Zoom or Skype introducing hologram calling, that's kind of where, where Cisco is at at the moment. It's a pilot project. But they've been using the technology uh, with McLaren in Formula One. Formula One seems to be a great uh, laboratory for using augmented reality uh, when it comes to sort of splitting apart components and, and that sort of thing and helping crews identify and uh, and rectify faults in the cars. Mm. So uh, they're very excited about this. Naturally enough, what I'm excited about is the fact that they are not developing their own bespoke hardware for it. So they are not going, okay, here's our branded Cisco headset. This is going to be it. No, they are going to be using uh, Microsoft HoloLens and they are going to be using a headset by Magic Leap as well. So technology that's already out there in the wild, albeit technology is very expensive so you know they're still going for the the big corporate clientele that you would expect with cisco but there you go the technology is getting here uh, the hardware is there to support it and they're here Amazing. ahead of facebook and, and when you say hologram it, it, i immediately think of star trek am, am i correct in thinking that it's like you just this glowing shimmering see-through kind of a version of whoever it is i'm talking to standing uh, uh, in front of me Slightly low res version of somebody standing. A in front slightly low. Yeah. It doesn't matter with low res. Look how far TV has come in the last ten you years. Do, do you High remember? Be in and be like, no, I'll send the HD version of myself. <laughs> I've upgraded to 1920. It's amazing. Do you, do you know what? The, the last season of Deep Space Nine, I think it was. Uh, this was hilarious. They did. Um, uh, they had a, a segment where they, on the USS Defiant, they yeah. had sort of a holographic call. Uh, so instead of using the view screen. Cisco turned around and he was talking to a holographic version of uh, whoever he was talking to. And it was so obvious that it was basically they just got the actor to come in and go, you stand there, pretend you're a hologram. <laughs> Make, oh, say dear. something about you not being comfortable with right. being a hologram. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, listen, you, men you mentioned Facebook and Facebook, of course, uh, in, the, in the news today mm. for a couple of reasons. All right. Now, I know yep. that they made uh, a, a, an insane amount of money in the last quarter, billions, 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 billions. But then they also have problems with whistleblowers and what the, the kind of noise that they're putting out there. And I also think it's quite amazing. <laughs> Uh, and they've got problems with Apple as well, all right, because Apple yeah. are not allowing them to, uh, to do this kind of thing. Um, sorry, the reason that I'm giggling is that the whistleblowers are kind of putting stuff out there in the world saying Facebook can't be trusted. 
Well, and it's duh. like and Facebook are kind of going, say, uh, oh, because Apple are not playing ball, we're not able to give you the correct figures. I have never trusted Facebook to ever give me correct figures on advertising. Uh, X, and X, you have used X Facebook. Click. Yes. Uh, you had X amount of clicks. Yeah, right. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Now, I mean, I get the results, so that's, that, that's all that counts, but I don't believe half the numbers they give me. Anyway. Well, I tell you, the scary thing is that, yeah, Facebook made $9 billion in the quarter. That's mm-hmm. up from $7.8 billion last year, so they're making more money. Mm-hmm. Um, they are worried about the iOS 15 update because it will shave out uh, their ads, so that's, that's a big deal. That's a big problem yep. when Apple have, what, 20% of the smartphone space? Uh, there thereabouts. However, their user base is still going up. Their user base is up 6% uh, to 2.91 billion people. Unbelievable. And they're, and they're all old people because kids aren't using it. Uh, yep, that's true. Yep, the kids are still, you know, it's, what's the second place one? It's, um, well, YouTube is still top of the heap, then Facebook. Yeah. Uh, but Instagram is younger huge, people, but- uh, it's younger people. I think it's Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok. Yeah, are the are the big three there. Yeah, um, and Discord are are climbing up as well because that's the gaming centered. Uh, all of, that's all I hear anybody under twenty five talking about is uh, Discord. Tell me about though, uh, Francis uh, H- Haugen, isn't it Hagen? Haugen. Haugen. Yeah. Okay. Uh, again, she is telling us uh, even more about the extent to which Facebook is putting profits ahead of uh, users. Um, I, I suppose not an awful lot more to report on this story other than going, well, yes, we knew that or we suspected Sorry. that because, as we know, they disbanded their misinformation team after the 2020 election, uh-huh. which meant that an awful lot of the coordination for the January 6th insurrection went on on Facebook and there wasn't a team there to moderate that kind of content. So. Uh, and I yeah. believe that, that, that you would think that a company that makes nine billion per quarter will be able to afford proper teams. But however, uh, oh, they, they seem totally to, can. Yeah, but they've categorized the world into category one. So that'd be the USA. Uh, I think it's India and maybe China. I, I can't remember huge things like that. And they go, if there's an election in those places, we've got a full team on it. All right. Mm. But it's literally like four countries. OK. Yeah. And then their second tier is kind of like, well, we'll put a regional team on it. Mm. All right. And then the third tier is just, well, we'll kind of monitor it. And if something happens, we may do something. We'll bring in a few interns. It'll be grand. That's exactly what it is. It's it's like it, it's a, it's unbelievable. But but not only has Francis been saying that Facebook is putting profit before users. There's another story out to say that Facebook is putting profit before investors. And it's telling porcupines and little misleading statements to investors as well. Yeah, and this is because uh, all tech companies are based on what you might call the myth of growth. Mm. Um, And this was something that uh, we're discovering uh, through the trial of Theranos, which is something that we'll talk about at some stage in the future as well, where you had a a tech company basically spoofing uh, the effectiveness of their device and targeting specific investors that they they were able to charm on a a personal basis. Um, Every company does it, I'm sure. But uh, investors are calling out Facebook saying, do you know what, you actually weren't doing this, we're, we're going to sue you. Uh, you were giving us inaccurate information when we were going to invest in your company. 
I'm sure it happens an awful lot. I think it's just the fact that Facebook, uh, their name is Mud at the moment. Um, although here's an interesting thing that happened during the week as well. There was a, a, all the, well, some of the not Facebook social networks went in front of a Senate committee and um, some the Snapchat's argument in their favour was we're not a social network, we're a camera company, um, which I think is very yeah. strange. Yeah, yeah, the TikTok said, on that one. Yeah, TikTok said we're not a social network because anyone can come in and look at our stuff and we're not based on followers. Um, so you don't have to do that. Um, I'm sure if Google were around, they would say the same thing about YouTube, that it, uh, they're not follower based. It doesn't it doesn't matter uh, to which the Senate said, and this is some serious shade. Uh, being different is not a defense. The bar is the gutter. And on that note, shall we leave our news update for this week? Niall Kitson, as always, thanks for keeping us up to date. Remember, we do keep you up to date daily on all things tech with hourly updates and daily newsletters. You can grab them for yourself for free with our compliments at techcentral.ie. This is Tech Central, your weekly tech podcast from Ireland's techcentral.ie. Last week, we talked about the big cyber threats of 2021. But what about next year or even the year after and so on? Uh, Niall Kitson met with CyberHive's head of product, Gareth Lockwood, to look ahead to tomorrow's problems and the technologies to deal with them. Gareth, it's been a very interesting year for a number of reasons, one of which, of course, is how the security landscape has changed and what we've all learned about how to handle security and, of course, cybersecurity, which is, which is of course, your area of expertise. So from your perspective, what do you think have been the big learnings? Can, can we start with the finally trashing the notion that the cyber criminal is the bored 17-year-old in the basement? Or is, is there still something to that particular stereotype? Uh, no, and it's a great uh, kind of talking, talking, talking topic at the moment. I think, you know, 2021 in particular has been this poster year for cyber criminals. And really, it's moved away from that, you know, stereotypical spotty teenager in the garage or in the bedroom trying to get fame and fortune by, by being a hacker. It is now extremely financially motivated. I think now nine out of 10 of the data breaches we saw in 2021 were of, of financial motivations, whether that's a ransomware attack or you know some more of the kind of nation state sponsored things that we've seen going on. Um, but I think maybe, you know, let, let me try and paint a picture of, of the kind of current and threat vectors that might we will probably see into next year as well. You know, I think with the the health pandemic of COVID and this shift to, I, I guess, almost exclusive home working. Right, the the days have really opened up a lot of opportunities for anyone with malicious intent, and it just so happens that those tend to have been, you know, pretty, you know, heavily financed or, or state sponsored. Uh, attacks. You know, the threats have grown in in both sophistication and volume. And and I, you know, my opinion is that that trend is just going to continue into into next year. I mean, we only have to look back into, you know, April, May of this year, the, the health and safety executive in, in Ireland suffered that major catastrophic ransomware attack. You know, I think it caused all of the IT systems nationwide to go down. And I think you can probably say it was probably one of the most significant cybercrime attacks on on an Irish state agency ever. And, you know, that that was 
quite sophisticated in the way it worked. It used something um, by the name of Conti, which is a a ransomware that's been around for for a little while. But um, you know, I, I think luckily most of the infrastructure and the data has now been recovered. But the cost of that breach alone probably will go into the hundreds of millions of euros. And you know, Conti was quite interesting because there are only a very small number of ransomware families that actually do what it did, you know, targeting the local network, spreading through um, some of the, 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 the network topologies. And it, it had some quite, you know, unique features. And I think, you know, what, what that has led us to believe is, you know, someone obviously got into that network and was sat there for a period of time before they actually executed that attack. And, and that's something that, you know, we need to be very, very cautious of going forward is that, you know, people may get onto our network and sit on the network for a long, long, long period of time before they actually do something. And actually detecting that intrusion is, is probably the number one thing we need to concern ourselves with at the moment. That's a really interesting point that people uh, have been sort of scouting uh, networks for quite a while before executing their attack. Um, is this something that you think is going to become the norm? That there will this be there will be this sort of period of literally casing the joint before deciding whether to instigate uh, an attack, or or indeed to choose an, a, a particular vector in which to attack. Yeah, I, I think, you know, the, the, the vector is an interesting one. And maybe I'll come on to that in a second. But, you know, this notion of uh, casing the joint, so to speak, is, is pretty much the standard operating procedure. Um, I mean, there was a report by IBM recently that said the average time to actually detect a data breach is about 228 days. So seven and a half months, someone has been sat on your network snooping the place, looking at your traffic, thinking, you know, how can I traverse the network to get to my my end target? And then it takes another, you know, 80 or 90 days to actually then contain that breach, which is, you know, it, it's it's staggering data just, just to think about, you know, some, you know, if you think someone's been in your house for that amount of time, you would be pretty scared. And I think, you know, if you think about it, it's really been the healthcare and the financial verticals where that life cycle has been even longer. And we need to see, you know, we need to see that trending down. Um, you know, the longest part of that is the actual detection. And, you know, if you can track even the subtlest of changes on your network within, you know, a matter of seconds or minutes, you're going to minimize that, uh, that, that, that impacts so much more. And when we talk about, you know, the, 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 the ways in, in which they get onto the network, you know, I think old school, you know, the human is always the weakest element, right? You know, phishing and those kind of social engineering attacks, they're, they're true, tried and tested, they work, you know, the, the human is that weak link. So I think what we're seeing now is that criminals are targeting that human element as opposed to maybe the technical vulnerabilities. You know, last year there were millions and millions of, you know, scam and phishing websites that were created, you know, rogue domains registered that look subtly, you know, or quite similar to some, you know, big brands that we know and, and, and kind of respect. So you can imagine, whilst a lot of these were targeted at the general public, you know, they prey on our concerns around the pandemic or, you know, financial rewards and, you know, all the benefits that, that you might want to be looking for if you're out of work or worried about your financial future. All it takes is that single lapse in concentration for a couple of seconds and you're potentially opening up, uh, you know, to, to some, you know, serious ramifications. And that sort of lapse of concentration, 
in the current sort of hybrid working environment, I guess that's an additional tier of difficulty for IT departments where before they might, you might have sort of daily contact with your workers and you're able to brief them even just in passing as, look, this thing has come up and it's quite interesting Will you just keep an eye on. And um, that dynamic isn't there anymore. So threats or problems might not even be reported to the IT department. They just might be brushed aside by the individual, meaning that the, the IT professional doesn't necessarily even know there's a problem. Oh, exactly. And I think we'll just see more and more of that. I think, you know, Amazon said in the last couple of months, you know, they are going to allow their uh, kind of corporate and, and, and tech workers to continue working remotely indefinitely, which is, you know, I think something that most organizations will probably follow suit. So it becomes this almost, I guess, perfect situation, right? The cyber criminals have got now the technical aspects that they can look at with, you know, this, this shift to a true hybrid you know, cloud uh, applications and bring your own device and, and those kind of things and the social element of it. So these new working habits are going to put a, quite a significant burden on our, our IT organizations. They're going to have to educate their employees more. I think there's been probably a little bit of a lapse in training with, you know, everyone working from home, not being face-to-face. Those corridor conversations don't happen. It's not necessarily front of mind. And I think, you know, there's been that fine balance between usability and security when it comes to working from home. You know, I might want to be sat in the lounge on an iPad or a tablet and might not necessarily be following an ideal security posture. And that's something that we really need to kind of think about, you know, with these phishing attempts, which will undoubtedly increase. I think it's, you know, for an employee, I've got to remember not to take things for granted, really. So, you know, look at who the sender is, double, triple check, you know, a URL before I'm going to click on it, which is actually quite difficult if I'm on a, a mobile device, for instance, you know, just be, be that much more, um, you know, aware of, you know, potential things that might happen. And I think, well, you know, one, one thing that was really interesting that came out of last year was this notion of a business email compromise. So where you get a, an email from maybe a high up executive in the business or one of your trusted partners, and often that's been spoofed. You know, it, it's someone representing your organization or a, a trusted partner when actually it's just someone with malicious intent. And again, that is generally financially motivated. It, it's quite lucrative. You know, I think if you receive a, an invoice from someone you deal with, you know, on a, on a daily or weekly basis, you might often just pay it without necessarily thinking too much about it. And, you know, these attacks are often sophisticated, socially engineered. They, they prey on this new norm of people being busy, less security conscious. And again, it's that slight lapse where you quite often might pay a, a completely illegitimate or fraudulent invoice. And, you know, that, that has a knock-on effect. You know, small businesses, it could be the downfall financially, but also then there's that reputational cost and your relationships with your suppliers and your partners that could break down. So again, it's just really being being aware, being cautious, and, and not taking things for granted. Part of these sort of mitigation measures from a management perspective, it might be to just to throw money at the problem and just look at <clears throat> a sort of a, a big box solution of, okay, here's a piece of software and we can just put it on your computer and we, we can forget mm. about it. How is that journey looking for IT professionals now where you have to get the message across that, look, no, you can't just buy a box and have that as your solution. You have to keep sort of a, a, an agile mindset, if you will, going when it comes to your security. 
Yeah, and there are a lot of solutions or, 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 or you know, noise from from the analysts at the moment around a couple of kind of key key buzzwords or topics. And you know, it's about understanding what is the best fit for my IT infrastructure, my business. You know, I've got to balance off the cost of, of a solution versus how efficient it is at, at, at each individual point. You know, am I looking at network protection or, you know, some AI or, or, you know, intelligence behind looking at the threats coming in. But again, as I said before, you know, a lot of the, the, the vulnerabilities are that human element. So it's about assuming the worst, you know, that there is this notion of zero trust. So basically assume someone is already in your network. How do you go about remediating that? How do you give your users the least amount of privileged access that they need to do their job effectively? And that, and that's something that, you know, at, at CyberHive, we have kind of taken that ethos on board. You know, we've worked with the University of Oxford quite closely for the past three or four years in developing our trusted cloud solution, which really is about, being non-disruptive to an organization, so allowing them the time to work out their complete end-to-end IT strategy, but being able to retrofit or, or put solutions in in a non-disruptive manner that gives them then protection. You know, we've talked about network breaches and people being sat on the network for seven, eight months at a time, perhaps. And that's where we thought, right, how can we assume breaches happen this this constant cat and mouse of, of of you know relying on prevention which i think is, is is still important but we looked at it from this problem of you know once an adversary is in your network you need to be able to detect that within a matter of seconds or minutes not weeks and months at a time which is you know that that's where i think a lot of these solutions kind of look at prevention rather than remediation so you know we look at like the minute a single line of code on any network infrastructure is tampered with, I want to know about it. And then we can make the dis- discussion, you know, is that a false positive? Is that someone doing something they should be doing? Is it a patch or is it truly malicious? And by being a little bit more secure, you allow, you know, time to build up that intelligence around what is real or, or what is not. And by having these kind of modular architecture approaches to it, you then allow you're allowed to build up over time a, a true end-to-end strategy without having to feel that you're under pressure to put something in under a, a, a under time pressure. Let's look towards the future. Uh, one one imagines that you know threat actors will get will get smarter. Solutions will have to get better. Uh, what do you see the security landscape being like over the next what five ten years? And what sort of technologies will we see coming along to mitigate against these threats? Yeah, I mean, again, it's really interesting from the near future. I, you know, the next months to years, and then maybe a slightly, you know, little bit beyond that. I I think ransomware is going nowhere. I mean, it's becoming increasingly more sophisticated. You know, I I think moving forward, we need to pay attention to. I hate to use the word, but but innovation, uh, you might want to call it. You know, we've seen recently uh, actually a threat by the name of Lockfile. It was discovered uh, just a couple of months ago, previously unseen uh, piece of malware. And that uses a vulnerability on an exchange server, again, deploys a, a set of tools at a later date and delivers its payload. And what's really interesting about things like Lockfile is it works intermittently by encrypting alternate bits of your file. So if you've got traditional, um, you know, library or, or scanning technology, actually this, this piece of ransomware itself makes that file 
looks statistically very similar to the original. It's very hard to detect and evade that kind of thing. So we need to be aware that these threats that we think are, are you know, day-to-day now will just continue to get more sophisticated and, and evolve. But beyond that, I think you know, this notion of quantum computing is really, really important. It feels like it's decades away, but there are reasons why we need to consider its application today, especially in this realm of data protection. Um, you know, our, our gold standards of cryptography today, AES-256, you know, RSA 2048-bit, they may take, you know, hundreds of trillion years to hack with the latest, you know, supercomputers today. But that becomes a trivial uh, piece of work for a quantum computer, and that's something that at CyberHive we're putting a lot of research effort into, into productizing again modular architecture changes that can be put onto networks or, or you know, industrial IoT or smart cities and those kind of uh, applications where these things are going to be around for hopefully, you know, decades of. And you don't want to have to go and re-architect your network or, or you know, retrofit things on in, in five or, or 10 years' time to be able to cope with these new threats that quantum computing delivers. So then, uh, just looking at the applications then of quantum computing, how quickly do you think enterprises will be embracing quantum as a solution? Uh, or is this? do you think there will be an initial period of pushback where people will say, well, look, solution X has worked just fine through our managed service provider. Why would we want to look forward to something that seems, as, as you say, pr- pretty futuristic even now? Mm, I, I think, you know, going back to the conversation we had at the beginning about this shift from the guys in the bedrooms to nation state actors, quantum computing, although it, it seems a long way away, you've only got to look at the news on you know, some of the, 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 the tech articles showing that actually the advancement in development over the last couple of months has been staggering. You know, we are already talking about, you know, technology that will deliver quantum computing in a, in a mobile form factor that doesn't require super cooling and, and huge amounts of electricity and those kind of things. So I, I think there's a, uh, I wouldn't say deniability, but I think there's a level of, oh, it's too far away. And, you know, if we think about what quantum computing delivers, there are very specific applications where it is absolutely ideal by the way quantum computing works. You know, it, it, it's that type of, computation or calculation that harnesses some of these quantum properties of, of of an electron that solves particular algorithms really, really, really quickly. Uh, I mean, you know, we, we talked around, you know, RSA 2048-bit, for instance. That would take hundreds of trillions of years to break. And that is our gold standard for encryption today. Everyone seems to use it, yet you apply that on a, at a quantum computer that becomes breakable in a matter of minutes and, and, and hours. So everything we do today that relies on encryption, whether that's cryptocurrency or, or you know s- sensitive data, um, it, it becomes a, a target for these these nation state actors. And there's this thing that we in the industry term record and replay attacks. So this is. I will go and and download some traffic today, knowing full well that I can't decrypt it. I will hold on to it and hold on to it until a point in time in future when I can apply a quantum computer and decrypt it. Now, I'm sure there are people that have sensitive data today that in five or 10 years' time, they still want to remain sensitive. So it's about applying those techniques that protect or what we call post-quantum resistant um, that, that allows you to have that security even today um, and, and you know be, be ready for the future. And if we think about 
you know, where we are evolving in industrial IoT, in automation, autonomous vehicles, um, public, you know, critical infrastructure and smart cities, those are technologies that you would hope would be deployed and be, you know, up to date and and be ready for the next 10 years. What we do not want to do is we want to, we don't want to be in a position where our critical infrastructure goes down. People start tampering with, you know, uh, autonomous vehicles, traffic lights, you know, public services, because they have access to these really, really powerful computers by by breaking their by breaking their encryption. So there, there's a lot of research still ongoing, and, and I really that that's our focus at CyberHive. Again, we're partnering with our academic and research and commercial partners to try and develop solutions that effectively protect against that kind of post-quantum era today. And, you know, there, there are no standards uh, in development yet, or, or there are no standards that are ratified today, but they are being worked on NIST, Etsy, you know, the, the bodies that we're used to seeing these standards come out from are, you know, quite, quite a way down the journey. And I would imagine in the next two to three years, we will have ratified standards that talk to to post quantum encryption so i think we're just slightly ahead of that game but it is absolutely something that uh, people need to be thinking about today and that was niall kitson talking to cyberhive's head of product garrett lockwood if you'd like to find out more about cyberhive their website is super simple it's www.cyberhive.com that's it for our show this week. Do remember you can get the lowdown on all things tech in Ireland with hourly updates, daily newsletters and more at our website techcentral.ie or of course listen to us each week online or Fridays with RTE Radio 1 Extra. Until next time, from myself Dusty Rhodes and from Niall Kitson, thanks as always for listening and have a good, proper, scary Halloween weekend. Take care. Get Tech Radio. Subscribe for free with iTunes or download on demand at techcentral.ie Tech Radio is produced by DigitalAudioProductions.com. Tech Central.